Mendoza. ¿Y sabes por qué? Porque le hizo serrucho. Fútbol América, live and underway here on ESPN Plus alongside Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebi Salazar. What kind of Liga Mekis after dark action were we looking at there in the cold open, Herc? I have no idea. <laughs> That's assault, brother. <laughs> What's going on there? More than a red card that man deserves. What are you wearing out there on the West Coast? Oh, you know, our, our friends down in SAC, they actually sent you one as well. Did they? They, they were Yes, I don't think you're going to like it. It's about two, size, two sizes too big. It's a medium, uh, mm -hmm. but you're going to have to try to grow into it. But, yeah, a little nice little gear from our peeps at Sacramento Republic. Thank you for keeping it real. Okay, I got some gear from uh, some friends in San Antonio as well. So the USL team is really starting to come through. This is a, a special shout-out. It might look like, like an AC Milan kit, but shout-out to John Ryan Brewery, incredible restaurant in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, home of the Little League World Series. They're big fans of the show and probably the only soccer ball within 100 miles of Williamsport. So definitely, if you're in central Pennsylvania, the spot to check out. Herc, we got lots to get to on this edition of the show. Lionel Messi shut out in Major League Soccer for the first time at the hands of Nashville. Uh, we got the Champions League group stage draw, so we're going to check out where all the U.S., Mexico, Canada, etc. players ended up. Julie Ertz announcing her retirement from the U.S. women's national team. We've got reactions to Mexico's first roster under Jimmy Lozano as the full-time manager, Herc. But we're going to start this show with our first look at the first roster for Greg Berhalter 2.0. Greg Berhalter naming 24 players to his roster for the upcoming friendlies against Uzbekistan and Oman. Now, there's a key list of guys who are not available either through injury or fitness. Tyler Adams, Gio Reyna, Josh Sargent, Zach Steffen, Sean Johnson, Cameron Carter-Vickers, uh, Walker Zimmerman, and Taylor Booth. The big surprises on this list, a couple dual nationals. One we've talked a lot about, Benjamin Kramaski. The other we haven't talked so much about, Danish-American Christopher Lund. Here's Greg Berhalter, who had some more information on his call-ups. You know, we talked to Ben about, um, you know, being able to, to come into the group and fit into what we're doing um, to represent the United States of America, which is a wonderful honor. You know, he grew up here. Um, he's played for youth national team programs uh, in, in the past. We had Ben Ha in camp um, in October prior to the World Cup. He was with the U-20 group. Um, and he immediately caught my eye for his just tenacity and his relentlessness. He, he's a kid that he was playing out of position in that camp, playing winger, sometimes forward. But he never quit. He never gave up. He kept running. I mean, he was running himself silly. And it really um, showed me what his mindset was like. And it, it was, I was really impressed with that. And then now watching his progress with, with Inter-Miami, um, you know, he's done a great job. And this, it's not only, you know, post-Messi, I think even pre-Messi. With Drake, it's been more of this, this steady ascent. Um, you know, he, he's gotten, this is his second year that he's been playing and he's getting games under his belt. And you can see that he's growing in confidence, just really athletic. I think really good timing, come out and, and get catching crosses, very good shot stopper. You know, fortunately for him, he had a lot of action to do early in the year, um, at inner Miami, but he's, he's done a great job and, and really played his way onto the team. Christopher, he's a guy that, you know, has been on our radar for the last two years. Um, we've, we've been watching him play for his club and, um, unfortunately, you know, before the last world cup, I just didn't think he was ready. Uh, since then he's gone on to win a Swedish league. He's got a transfer and, you know, we think that he could potentially fill the void that we had at the left back position, uh, in terms of our de depth. You know, that's something that we've struggled at, uh, for a while. Anthony Robinson has been the clear starter is a fantastic player. Um, but no one's really grabbed that second position, and we're seeing w what he can do and if he can challenge for that spot. All right, if anyone knows how to complain about a Greg Berhalter roster, it is you, Hercules Gomez. Are you cool 
with this 24-player list for the September friendlies? Yeah, believe it or not, it's a pretty solid roster, as solid as you can get given the circumstances. All the players that are injured are not available. We can nitpick here at player number 23 and so forth, maybe Benjamin Kramaski, and I did it. Uh, the other day on the show, listen, I maintain it. And you welcome all those content creators out there that I'm giving you. Stuart Holden and I, through social media, <laughs> had a little discussion and gave you plenty to talk about. But you cannot deny that Lionel Messi being by your side does not shine a different light mm -hmm. on you. Now, I will say, that's not Benjamin Kromaski's problem. Benjamin mm -hmm. Kromaski's problem, and the only thing he should be worried about is taking advantage of this great opportunity. But I would feel pretty hard done if I'm the Jack McGlynn's of the Philadelphia Unions of the World, who was a U-20 prospect and went to that U-20 World Cup. If I was Brian Gutierrez, who I couldn't go, who plays for Chicago Fire, because Chicago wouldn't let him go, a very creative player. If I was mm -hmm. Noel Buck of the New England Revolution, and I wasn't on that U-20 roster either for different circumstances. All, by the way, and Diego Luna, you could say, who was on that roster. Mm -hmm. All these players I just named happen to be dual nets. Now, I don't believe... In the argument of, well, Argentina might take him. If you think Argentina is looking at Benjamin Kramaski, I don't know what to tell you. I think he's, <laughs> he's a wonderful prospect. I think he's got massive ceiling. But playing mm -hmm. on a team where you have possession 70% of the time and you're next to Lionel Messi, you will look better than you are. Now, that doesn't mean anything to him. Take advantage of this opportunity. It's a great opportunity, and it's a pretty good, solid roster. Yeah. I think if you're a U.S. fan and you're getting ready for the second look at Greg Berhalter, the one big concern is, is he going to bring the guys who were labeled Berhalter guys back? And I think it's pretty clear on this roster that he's, he's moving away from those guys. And some of them are pretty obvious, right? Jordan Morris, the Christian Rodans of the world, the Aaron Longs of the world. But those guys were obvious sometimes in the past and they'd still make their way onto the roster. So they're not here. One name that I do think is a Greg Berhalter guy, but doesn't necessarily maybe fit into that veteran group that you can say, all right, the program has moved past, is a guy like Jesus Ferreira hurt. And given all of the times that I've heard you defend him, despite the fact that his goals sometimes come against, yes, lesser competition. You defend him. And the fact that he, he is coming off a, a pretty good summer, by all counts. Uh, I am surprised that he, Hercules Gomez, is not in this list. Are you? No, I, I, he didn't play last game because I believe he, he had the, um, what's the medical term for that? The squirts. So he didn't play. Others were saying he was going to go to Cadiz and that was in the works. Not the case. Um, I don't think he's been exactly lighting up Major League Soccer per se where he has to be there. Uh, and the national team isn't, you know, you're a, you got a placeholder because of who you are. Uh, there are very few players in international football that can, go no matter what their level is. If you're not in a good run of form, still get that call-up. The rest of the mortals, of us mortals, you've got to work. And if you're not at a good level, well, it's another opportunity for somebody else. And given the makeup of this roster, the two nines are who? Fuller and Balogun and Ricardo Pepe. I don't think anybody's disputing they're the top two nines right now, given the circumstances available to Greg Berhalter. Uh, one more note on this roster. It truly does now, Herc, feel like Christian Pulisic's team. Obviously, he was, he was the best player for a long time. It's crazy to, at just 24 years old, see him as the most capped player with 60 appearances for the U.S. men's national team. And Greg Berhalter, in the explanation behind kind of the roster here, says, we want to keep a core. Well, you see one of the guys that always keeps coming back is Christian Pulisic. And for all the injury issues that he's had at club, when, when this national team needs him, and even though it's friendlies, this is kind of the beginning under Greg Berhalter, the second beginning. I think you can't overstate Christian Pulisic's role, and it is, it is wild that before he hits 25, he is truly now not just the best player, but like the grizzled veteran on this team. He's the most experienced player in the group. Tim Ream's 36 years old. He's uh, older than I am. And guess what? Christian Pulisic has more caps and mm -hmm. more appearances than him. Christian Pulisic has been around, man. And say what you will, he's always sought refuge in the U.S. men's national team. That's always been a refresher for him. It's where he's gone, and it's been a safe space. So it's, it's no wonder the kid wants to keep coming back because this well for him has always worked. All right, you mentioned uh, Christopher Lund, the Danish-American. Now, it's rare that a player sneaks up on us or at least sneaks up on anybody in the U.S. men's national team kind of fan world, right? Everybody's usually got their radar pretty well-tuned. It's not to say that he snuck up on people, but I think folks thought he was pretty far away from a senior national team call-up. So what's the story? He's 21 years old. He's Danish-American. He's played for uh, Danish youth national teams. He's playing for Palermo right now in Serie B in Italy. 
and he has filed for the one-time switch to the United States with FIFA. Herc, what was your reaction to seeing Christopher Loon's name on the U.S. roster here? Yeah, interesting, right? Because as you said, it, it's not like anything gets past us. And sure, somewhere along the lines, maybe online, I saw his name come up. One of those well, also has, you know, dual possibilities. Um, but to all of a sudden be on the radar and be called up is eye-opening because this call-up means you're filing for a one-time switch. This is a player who played U-17s, U-18s, U-19s, U-20s, U-21s uh, with Denmark. So obviously he's of quality. Swedish Cup, Swedish Championship, and at 21 years old, he, he was garnering interest from clubs like Galatasaray. He's got good size to him. He's six foot, and I've watched him play. I've watched a bunch of his stuff online. I've mm. watched a few of his games. The guy is of the mold of an Anthony Robinson. Loves to get up and down. Very physical, willing to put his body on the line, but in the final third, has a touch more, I would say, creativity, if you will, on the ball than an Anthony Robinson. Good left foot that he swings in, but very much of the mold of being hard-nosed, physical, up and down, will defend first type of guy. The thing here is, you're not bringing him in to compete with Anthony Robinson. Anthony Robinson's left back number one. That's top tier, but he's also one of the most important players for Greg, Ber Greg Berhalter. Excuse me. One of the most productive players for Greg Berhalter. As Anthony Robinson goes, this U.S. Men's Nash team tends to go as well. I looked at the left back backups, if you will, over the past. I mean, there's some names on here like George Bello, Sam Vines, Dewan Jones, Joe Scally's played left back, John Tolkien, Kevin Paredes, Jonathan Gomez. You know who the backup left back is out of all of them? It's Sergio Dest. That's how slim it is at left back for the U.S. men's national team. So bringing in depth, bringing in somebody who can nip at those heels for an Anthony Robinson or be there in case he gets injured or he's not in form, that's a benefit, especially somebody who's already got a little bit of European pedigree in him. Uh, where does this file under your we're giving away caps too easily complaints? Well, no, it's not a way, giving away caps. I mean, you have an obvious need at this position. And here's a player that's proven himself at a certain level, gaining interest from some of the top teams in the world. And I think he's of the mold of somebody you have. It actually fits into your mm -hmm. program, into that system. So I have no issue with this. Um, this guy has a body of work to go with him. There are players out there who don't have that body of work. We spoke about Kromaski. He's not played a full season. He's got like under 20 uh, or 2,000 minutes, if you will, professional minutes. So, you know, those are different. But as far as him, this is a one-time switch is part of the program going forward. It's a risk on his part, and I would say calculate a risk for Greg Berhalter, but one, given the circumstances that you would take. Yeah. In recruiting terms, it feels like kind of a heist. He was playing with Denmark's U-20s as recently as last year, and so for the U.S. to, to swoop in, get him here, and get him to, to file for this one-time switch, especially at a position of need like left back, uh, could be pretty significant in the future for the U.S. men's national team. All right, let's move on to the Elephant in the room, shall we, Hercules Gomez? The player who is not around. That's right, Gio Reyna. Gio Reyna not on this list, of course. Gio Reyna, a player who has a long history with Greg Berhalter. And Greg Berhalter was asked about that history in an interview that he did with Vanity Fair, okay? Now, uh, it's worth noting, Gio Reyna is returning to fitness. Remember, we thought he had a muscular injury. It turns out, reportedly, he had a fracture in his leg. So he's just getting back to fitness for Dortmund, but not in the roster for that reason. Here's what Greg Berhalter said to say to Vanity Fair about the relationship with Gio. Quote, it's not something where you just pick up the phone and say, hey, bud, here's how it's going to go. There is work to be done. All right, uh, Berhalter, of course, asked about this as well during his press conference on Wednesday. Let's hear what he had to say. Well, you know, those are conversations that I look forward to, and it's just understanding sensitivities around it, right? I mean, he's he's a, a young player. I think for, for everyone involved, it's been a lot for the last six months, and we just want to do it in the best possible way to put him in position um, to help the team in a way that we know he can. And, um, you know, he, unfortunately, he was ruled out for this camp. But I, you know, I look forward to um, continuing to monitor his progress at Dortmund and hopefully getting him back into camp in October. 
No, I, I wouldn't say that. That's not fair to say he's non-responsive. That's that's not accurate. Um, you know, it's he's been responding, and for us, it's it's understanding the sensitivity around the issues, understanding the right time in the right way, and um, you know, I think again, it's for us. We're committed to every single player in this player pool, and for us, it's about how do we how do we maximize communication with them and and target it in a way that we're getting the most out of each and every player. So for this, it's just being a little bit more thoughtful, a little bit more sensitive to um, to the past. And I look forward to having conversations with him. I look forward to to watching you know his progress and hopefully him getting back on the field. And then for us. You know, hopefully, been a, to include him in the October camp against you know two good opponents. Okay, Herc, is it time for another get lost for Greg Berhalter? This time for his uh, latest handling of Gio Reyna. Not just Greg Berhalter, but let me go one step further for U.S. soccer. Um, I won't pretend to know how difficult it's been for the Berhalters, the Reynas, collectively and individually. Uh, <clears throat> I'm sure it's been very difficult. But in terms of your job, in terms of the program, if you're Matt Crocker in U.S. soccer, you don't move on and name Greg Berhalter until you know that conversation's been had. That's the very first number, first text message, first call, first email, whatever you want that should have gone down. You see how it falls, how the dominoes falls, what plays after, and you make a decision on Greg Berhalter. But to not do that, to leave it now, where the situation is growing and growing and growing is so disappointing. I mean, to hear Greg Berhalter in the Vanity Fair interview or in these press conferences talk about the WHO Summit and sending individual text messages or notes, as he says, to all the players to apologize. Was Giovanni Reyna one of those players? You apologized to everybody else before Giovanni Reyna? You spoke to everybody else before you spoke to Giovanni Reyna? It's a very ugly situation and one that should be so far down the line, so far past if you're U.S. soccer and Greg Berhalter. And all you've done by not acknowledging the elephant in the room is making it that much bigger. I don't know where you go from here. You're talking about, if you're U.S. soccer, Greg Berhalter, that if you're lucky, gives you one cycle, maybe a good one. But if you're lucky with the ceiling that Giovanni Reyna has, you get a generational talent that you can build around, and you're going about it the wrong way. Yeah. Fascinating stuff in the Vanity Fair article, right down to the, uh, the mediation experts. I, I found that very interesting that that's what uh, Greg Berhalter was relying on in terms of how he was going to mend this bridge with Gio Reyna. Uh, from a U.S. soccer perspective, I think this is kind of what you get, right? This was the complaints or at least kind of the feeling that I had in Las Vegas when this news dropped was we're going to be talking about this for a while. Now, here we are, Herc. We're nine months down the road. I mean, this this basically exploded the first week of January of this year. We are heading to the first days of September, and the story is still kind of the same, right? This tension between Greg Berhalter and Gio Reyna. And remember, when he took over, they didn't make him coach the Gold Cup because he was going to be doing big picture things. Well, to your point, what is more big picture than solving this relationship? I think that's the real head scratcher here. It's one that it's not done yet, and two, Herc, there's been plenty of time to do it. It begs the question, what do we think Greg Berhalter's truly waiting on here? I, I don't know. The fact that he goes out and seeks professional help like a mediator to do this leads me to believe there's still an HR problem and they need to go about it the hmm. right way. I don't know. Uh, but it's very simple. It's as simple as taking a flight, getting on a plane. It's a business relationship. Can we work together? Can we do this? And moving forward, I understand there's a lot of history between the two families, a lot of history between the two people who are in this case involved, Greg Berhalter and Giovanni Reyna. But there is no situation in where you get the best version of the U.S. men's national team without Giovanni Reyna. And you need to realize that if you're Greg Berhalter. Yeah, and it feels like another PR exercise here, right? The Vanity Fair article drops right before the roster drops. And you're thinking, you know, why is Greg Berhalter talking to Vanity Fair before he's talking to Gio Reyna? That, that's the question that really comes across here. It, it seems like we can't confront this thing head on. We're going to keep beating around the bush, and it's going to keep rearing its ugly head until finally Gio is healthy during one of these windows. Hopefully it will be uh, the next one in October. Speaking of Gio Reyna, 
He and his Dortmund teammates will be in action this weekend on ESPN+. Plus. Actually, tomorrow, Friday, 2 p.m. Eastern time, as Dortmund uh, faces off against Heidenheim. It's match week three in the Bundesliga. ESPN+, Plus, your exclusive home for the German top flight all season long. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, let's talk about El Tri, who also dropped their roster this week. Jimmy Lozano's first as the uh, full-time man in charge. Mexico, of course, uh, got games against Australia September 9th in Dallas, September 12th in Atlanta against Uzbekistan. It's a 24-player list. Just like the U.S., there are some significant absences, not so much injury-related. There are a few injuries, more about club situation. Guys like uh, Chucky Lozano, Tecatito, Luis Chavez just made the move to Russia. Jorge Sanchez just made the move to Porto. Cesar Montes uh, looking to make a move. No Julian Quinones. Somewhat disappointing there. The uh, paperwork not complete. 16 players play in Mexico, seven in Europe, one in Major League Soccer, the one in MLS. A big surprise there in Hector Herrera. All right, let's open this up for a quick edition of three questions here on Football Americas. And our first of the three questions, which was a more surprising call-up of these two veterans, the aforementioned Achiache or Raul Jimenez? Herc, what do you say? Hector Herrera, listen, um, Raul Jimenez is there because Henry Martin is injured and... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Funes Mori, I don't even know what he's doing. He's out of the picture. He's been out of the picture for, for so long. It looks like he's not coming back. So that's why Raul Jimenez is there. I mean, who else are you potentially going to take? There is nobody else. Hector Herrera is so much of a surprise to me uh, because he's publicly stated how his displeasure with not being on the national team. Uh, Jimmy Lozano has stated his intent of a generational shift, the new generation coming through, that younger generation. Uh, uh, Jaime Lozano, his protege, uh, his son, if you will, footballing-wise, is Luis Romo, coached in the U-20s. That's the exact same position that Hector Herrera plays. Listen, you're not moving Luis Chavez. You're not moving Edson Alvarez. If Hector Herrera comes in, you're most likely going to move Luis Romo. Why would you want to do that to your protege, a younger version, for a player that will be 37 years old come the World Cup? Hector Herrera is in great form. But it makes no sense going forward to bring him in if you don't think he will be there at the end in the World Cup in 2026. That's the surprising thing for me. I got to give Hector Herrera credit. When I saw him go to Houston, I thought, no way. Uh, I don't know if you remember the interview we did with him. I believe it was preseason this year. We asked him directly, do you think there's, you know, a path back onto the Mexican national team playing for the Houston Dynamo and MLS and he thought that there was. And I have to say, in that interview, in that moment, under my breath, I kind of scoffed. I thought, no way he's going to be able to play his way back, in part because of the team, right? The Houston Dynamo, we didn't think we were going to be any good. They've been good. I think he gets a lot of credit for that. So it's still a surprise. I'm with you to see Achiacha get called in here. Can I just add to what you're yeah. saying about Hector Herrera? Uh, per uh, Mauricio Imai, our colleague at ESPN Deportes, mm-hmm. Hector Herrera, when the team was in Houston, 
went and literally knocked on Jimmy's door at the hotel they were staying at and had a long conversation about I go. want back. So it's, to to your point, you have to give him a lot of credit. He's been yeah. looking for it. And what did Jimmy said? You know, he wants guys that want to be there. For for a while, there were there were a lot of guys that maybe didn't want to re- be around the national team. So Achiacha certainly uh, making his case on and off the field. Look, for me, it's Raul Jimenez. I hear you. If if Henry Martin was here, he's nowhere near this roster, right? We agree with that. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I don't. Raul Jimenez is playing with Fulham and he's healthy. I, I know. I know. It's very difficult to say. In probably the worst moment of the modern era in terms of, of Mexican players in Europe, that a guy who is starting in the Premier League shouldn't be called into the Mexican national team. But Herc, he is a forward who does not score. That's a He's goal. got zero league goals last season. He's got zero league goals this season. He hasn't scored yet oh, for come Fulham. on. Three games He hasn't in. scored. He hasn't scored yet. We're not talking about a guy who's lighting it up. We're basically just saying... He's filling a roster spot in a very good league. He's getting minutes in a very good league, and that's enough. Do you do you have hope that Raul Jimenez is going to contribute to the national team? Honestly, if you're asking me right now, I have more faith that Achi Achi can give this national team something than Raul. I, I haven't seen Raul do anything for L3 in, in two years, three years. Yeah, I mean, it's a little unfair. It's circumstantial. We know what circumstance revolves around Raul Jimenez is that unfortunate incident in yep. November 2020. But it's the reality, Herc. It Whatever is. it is, it it's is. the reality. It is. But let me, let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Okay, What does Mexico not have? European players. Okay, They don't have those players in Europe. You have a player in Europe who's only 32 years of mm-hmm. age, and you're really going to say, not right now, champ. Thanks. Who's playing? He plays a consistent starter for Fulham. I know what you're saying. When he was back with the national team, he had a hernia, uh, necessity of an operation. He got that fixed. Mm-hmm. He looks fit. Goal scorers about bunches. You get one in, the second one goes in, the third goes in, et cetera, et cetera. He's also a forward, and you know what I'm going to say, who doesn't solely depend on goals. He's a creator as yeah. well. I think a player of that caliber and that expertise on a limited national team with so few players in Europe is a benefit. Yeah. By the way, if you're worried about Hector Herrera's age, you should be worried about Raul's age, too. He's going to be 35 at the World Cup. 35. Oh. You tell me he's still going to be playing a role for Mexico at 35 at the World Cup? How old will Memo Ochoa be? Wow, come on. <laughs> nah, come on. <laughs> All right, let's get to uh, the second question here on three questions. Not a lot of new names uh, in this, but a couple. We got uh, Jordi Cortizo, formerly of Puebla, uh, Herc, your former club, now with Monterrey, and Cesar Huerta of Pumas. Uh, Between these two, who are you more excited to see? I'm more excited to see Cesar Huerta. Now, very quickly, mm-hmm. Jordi Cortizo. I'm a big fan of Jordi Cortizo, but he seems to me be to be a dying brief. Okay, uh, playmakers, those tens, if you will, are hybrids now. They're wing players. Uh, maybe not so much of a necessity. Cesar Huerta is a necessity. This Mexican national team depends on their wing play. Now, listen, he's only 22 years of age. Didn't do much when he was in Chivas. Uh, not too many players do when they're there. They go out elsewhere. Steady, and all of a sudden they says expl- producer Beto. No, no, he just no. threw his headset down. I know he didn't throw his headset down. I'm being honest. Not too many young players just kind of break in, make a name for themselves that way. They got to go elsewhere, make a name for themselves, come back, if you will, like JJ Macias did. Now, Cesar Huerta went elsewhere, had a good season in Mazatlan, goes to Pumas, and he's an absolute menace down the wing. He's not just a vertical player, a player that's going to beat you with speed. He will skin you 1v1. Mm. Now, the numbers aren't there. The goals, the assists, they're not there. But I think a lot of that has to do with his teammates at Pumas. He should be leading the league in assists right now. But those forwards they've got at Pumas have not been helping them out. But he's an absolute necessity. If you look at the positional play for the Mexican national team, who's in that orbit, in that pool, well, Tecatito Corona and Chucky Lozano, they've not done much of late or in the last two years for the Mexican national team. They're off with the, their own European adventures trying to sort out their careers. And then you look at uh, Alvarado. Uh, you look at Uriel Antuna. You look at uh, some of the other guys like Alexis Vega, who's not dependable. Some of those guys aren't really fan favorites if you will, or, or leave you inspired like they can be the next big thing or will actually help that, that team. So Cesar Huerta to me is a welcome surprise. All right, I'm not going to lie. You got me kind of fired up to watch Cesar Huerta. I, I didn't think there was a lot on this roster that could get me kind of excited uh, in a new way. I'll go Jordi Cortizo because, just to your point, I understand wing, very important for Mexico. It's, it's a position that needs to be addressed, and if anything, um, we need more depth there. You need to see more depth there, especially uh, when you get to kind of pl- needing playmakers at the elite international level. But 
I think the same can be said for midfield. I want more options and more different options in midfield. I know he's not maybe scored as much with uh, Rayados as he did with Puebla, but he had he had some goals in him at Puebla. He had some goals in him he's at got Puebla. He had some goals in him at Rayados too. He's a good player. And uh, I just I think there's something to be said there. There's a lot of guys that kind of fit into that similar role, but at 27 years old, it's also last chance saloon for him, right? He's he's not a guy who's going to get a second crack at this. This is this is the window, the opportunity for Cortizo. Are you surprised that there weren't more new faces in this group under Jimmy Lozano? It's a lot of familiar familiar faces compared to what we saw over the summer. It's lo que hay, famous Ronald Koeman words. You know, mm. it's what we have. Uh, that's the Mexican. I mean, national if anything, team. right now it's your first. It's your first, first real roster as a full-time manager. You're, you're three years from the World Cup. If anything, now's the time to get some new blood in. Yeah, but these are the names I, I would have expected to be new blood. Like, the only way I could have been surprised by Jimmy Lozano. I mean, play. Alvarado, Vega, all these well, guys. There's, well, no, well, there's no new blood there. Well, you're just looking at two that are new blood. But, but what I'm saying is the only... A 27-year-old well, is new listen blood. listen to what I'm God. saying. The only way I would have been surprised, given the state and what you have at your disposal, mm -hmm. is if... Yadel Padilla of Chivas, I believe he's turning 18 soon, was the player who's called up for the Mexican national. That would have been the only real surprise for me, but that didn't happen. He kind of went the route that everybody thought he'd go. All right, uh, last question here on three questions. Biggest snub. Who do you think is the bigger snub? We're going to give you two choices here. Marcel Ruiz of Toluca or Osiel Herrera of Tigres, who just made the move from Atlas. Uh, Marcel Ruiz is going to the U23 team, which is kind of a... I have no idea why that's happening. Jimmy Lozano knows him, too. Marcel Ruiz came out of Querétaro. He must have had him at the U20s at some level, uh, I believe. Actually, probably not. He's probably too young. But certainly saw him in those uh, in that academy program. But it's got to be Osiel Herrera. Osiel Herrera, to me, is... Listen, I, I mentioned the players that play wingers for the Mexican national team. There's two profiles. Velocista... You've got your Uriel Antuna. They're just going to run after the ball and try to get in behind. They're very fast. They're very direct. Uh, Alvarado, maybe a little bit more hybrid, if you will, but pretty much the same thing. And then you got your Diego Linuses, your Tecatito, that type of 1v1 player who's going to try to go at you 1v1. He's a little bit of both right here, Osiel Herrera. And he could also come in as a second nine. He's got goals to his game. In fact, the last two league games for Tigres, he scored. The problem is not only was he a snub, continues to be a snub, and I'm hoping this isn't a trend, but he just got injured last night versus Santos. My worry for Osiel Herrera is sometimes a manager leaves, and you are so close to that manager, you get labeled one of those guys, his mm. players. We spoke about it with Serginho Des and Ronald Koeman. Koeman's guys. Well, this is a Diego Coca guy. That is my worry for uh, Osiel Herrera moving forward, is that he's labeled a Diego Coca player. Yeah, I mean, he's... A He's a good player, though. He scored for Tigres last night. I mean, this is a guy who's, you know, once we forget about Diego Coca, I don't think we're going to forget about uh, Osiel Herrera. I'm excited to see him when he does make his way back into the national team. I'll say Marcel Ruiz here, because Ruiz is a guy, Herc, who we've been kind of waiting on and, and hoping for for a while. He broke in with Querétaro. I think he was 16 or something like that when he made his debut. Yes. He was 17 when he got called into his first senior national team camp. So he's been around kind of the orbit uh, of the national team for, for quite some time. He made his debut with Coca back in March. So, so there seemed to be some, some upward trajectory there, and he's part of your beloved TSG, no? Playing with Toluca, San gets Germain. a lot of minutes for them. Yeah. And, uh, and also gets some goals. He's got some goals in his game. So this is a player just in, in that vein of wanting to see more youth in that midfield. He's only 22 years old. Uh, but this is a guy who I really do at some point want to see break into the national team because he's been a, a gran promesa for quite some time in Mexican football. And I do think his league form is worthy of a call-up. I think what he's doing at Toluca is enough. Would you agree? Uh, yes. Here's my worry. for he's sort of, I, I can't tell the difference between Marcel, Marcel Ruiz and Jordi Cortizo <coughs> at times. It's a reality. I think I'm watching the same player. Maybe it's a good problem to have, but that's a problem for him. In that game, you're talking about his first play uh, with the Mexican national team. That game, if I'm not mistaken, was actually in Toluca against Panama, and they ran a U23 team out there, and it was like uh, JJ Macias, who was uh, the number nine at that time. So it's kind of one of these disguised uh, national team appearances, if you will. All right, enough of three questions. Let's get some transfer talk in here, because the uh, transfer deadline is coming tomorrow. That window is not going to close on Chucky Lozano, though. He secured a 12 million euro move 
back to PSV Eindhoven from Napoli. Chuki was, of course, at PSV from 2017 through 2019, where he had 40 goals in 79 games. The 28-year-old had been linked with a potential move to Major League Soccer and LAFC. Herc, did Chuki make the right choice? The Netherlands over Major League Soccer. Yes, right choice. Netherlands over Major League Soccer, Netherlands over Saudi Arabia. Sure, it's the right choice. That's not the debate here. The debate here is where Chucky Lozano lands at 28 years old. Now, Chucky Lozano has always been the player that we had so much hope for. I mean, he broke out on the scene in Liga MX. He scores in his very first game against Club America. He lights up Liga MX, you know, uh, wins championships with Pachuca. And then after that, goes to the Eredivisie in, in, in a big transfer for Pachuca and surprises us all. He becomes a goal scorer. And then it's the World Cup, and he scores the game winner against the defending World Cup champions, We were Germany. in the stadium. We were, we were in, in the stadium. It was insane. Like, El Chucky Lozano. It was like, I, that moment I said, this kid's going to be a star, a massive star. And guess what? He becomes Napoli's highest transfer fee ever, ever. So for a player, for a player that became a, for like club like Napoli, their highest transfer fee ever, to go back to where it all started for him, the jumping off spot, if you will, Seb, at 28 years old, man, that is such a letdown. There was so much hope for Chucky Lozano, and I'm hoping he regains that. I really am. But in four years in Napoli, he had one good season under Ancelotti. The rest, he was yeah. there. Yeah. The, the Scudetto, they won it, I understand. But he wasn't one of the top players there. He wasn't one of the guys that was always counted on. He scored three goals, three assists. You, you were always asking for more. And it's a bummer that Chucky Lozano, for as much promise as he showed us early on, is going back to the Eredivisie at 28 years old. When he scored that goal against Germany, I think we thought best clubs in the world. We thought this guy is going to play for one of the best clubs in the world. And it became pretty clear at Napoli that it wasn't going to work there. I still thought he could go to a best club in the world at some point. But then there were the injuries. And they weren't as dramatic as the Raul Jimenez injury. But they were significant. Remember, it was a neck a skull injury. Shoulder. Those, those, yeah, are, yeah. those are career, if not enders, career changers. And I just wonder if Chucky Lozano, since those particular injuries, suffered with the national team, of course, uh, if he's really, truly the same player that he was in the summer of 2018 when he lit that World Cup on fire and scored against Germany. However, it's, it's worth saying, Herc, that as a, as a national team fan, if you're a fan of El Tri, and the thought was Chucky Lozano, who was one of your kind of high-water guys in Europe, in a thinning pool, was going to potentially be coming back to Major League Soccer. And LAFC, this is a great move. It, one, keeps him in Europe. It keeps him in, in, in a very competitive Champions League Europe. And you know, Herc, if Chucky Lozano is going to find his rhythm, his goals anywhere, it's going to be with this team and in this league. I think it's a great move from a Mexican national team perspective. I mean, it's best-case scenario given the circumstances. I mean, if those are the three destinations, MLS, Saudi Arabia, and the Eredivisie, um, a feeder league, then the best-case scenario would be a team like PSV, who could surprise you, but it's just, oh, it's a gut punch because you knew what this ceiling was like when you were watching this kid play early on in his career. PSV now CONCACAF's team. He's going to team up with uh, Sergio Dest, Ricardo Pepe, and Malik Tillman. What a moment there in the Eredivisie. Speaking of... Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, available for you right here on ESPN+. Plus. Watch PSV take on Valvik again, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Saturday. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, 
Priceline. How about some Wednesday night soccer? Herc, Nashville and Inter Miami. This is a uh, look back at the game against the New York Red Bulls. We remember, of course, uh, Lionel Messi's MLS debut. Of course, uh, they won that game, got those three points, Herc, and that was big. Yeah. You got to win. You got to get as many points as possible uh, in this chase for the playoff spot. Yeah, that was a Diego Gomez goal. It's a good goal. Uh, Diego Gomez, who, who, who struggled, and we'll talk about it, uh, Nashville, that's Messi enjoying what he's seen. And then, you know, it, it was a... Uh... There we go. Yeah, we just wanted to kind of set, set the context, <laughs> set the table there with a uh, highlight from his first MLS game. Second MLS game, what a crowd. That's uh, Floyd Money Mayweather. Uh, in the house to watch Leonard Messi and Inter Miami against Nashville. How about this pass, Hercules Gomez? How does he see that? That's ridiculous. And Jordi Alba makes a meal of it. I mean, it's between four players and his own. I don't know how he saw that. It should have ended up in the back of the net. Does not. Later on in the first half, more from Messi. Finding Robert Taylor. Just fires over the bar. Yeah, I want you to watch Messi, his reactions. He wanted the ball back, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Messi finds Taylor again. His shot out of bounds. Watch Actually took Messi. a deflection. Watch Messi. It's out of bounds deflection, but you, the, the, it's setting. The frustration is setting for Messi there. <clears throat> All right, so scoreless at the half between Nashville and Inter-Miami. Nashville made a couple changes in the second half. Hani Mukhtar involved here. Again in the 66 to Jacob Schaffelberg, one of the other changes. Big save, Drake Callender. Yeah, but watch the Andre Yedlin. Meek Meek just literally puts the afterburners on. Wow. Well, yeah, okay. All right, all right. Nope. DeAndre Yedlin, the, the burner. Late in this game, stoppage time. Messi on his right foot hurt. Denied. Are you not going to give Yedlin credit there? How about this? You know he's going to go to his left foot. Come on. Always to the left. Right there. Ooh, went to the right. Messi uh, getting creative, getting desperate at the end, getting frustrated. And it ends scoreless as Gary Smith and Tata Martino come together at midfield. Here's a look at the bottom of the Eastern Conference. That's where we find Inter-Miami. Remember, they got to get up into that top nine. And with 10 games left for Inter-Miami, they got 13 points to make up to the Chicago Fire. All right, Herc, feels like dropped points for Inter-Miami here. Would you agree? Absolutely. You're playing at home. You picked up a great victory against Mm -hmm. the Red Bulls in New York, away from home. Uh, Great victory. Puts you in pole position. Just keep winning. Just keep doing what you've been doing for the last 10 games. That's all you need to do. Get Messi in prime position, let your playmakers take over, and you do what you do, you'll get these points. That wasn't the case. They were frustrated. They end up dropping points, two massive points that you need to take advantage of if you're playing at home. And now given my calculations that I've done, 42 is the magic number. I know they have three games Mm. in hand, okay? I I know they still have nine points they can play with, but you're essentially talking about with 30 points to go, you need 22 points. You can only drop eight points, and you know that Messi won't be there for three games. these, These were massive points that you dropped right here. Yeah. There's no wiggle room, right? There's no wiggle room at this point. You figured you were at home against a Nashville team that was pretty heavily rotated, really, from the team you saw in League's Cup. And then on top of that, her kind of seeded Inter Miami at least the first half of the game. When Nashville doesn't put out Hanny Mukhtar, when they don't put out Jacob Schaffelberg, I mean, those are, one, their best player in Hanny Mukhtar, one of the best players in the league. And in Schaffelberg, one of their more dangerous players this game was on a platter for Miami especially in that first half and that's why I think Herc, you saw the frustration in the highlight you see it there he wanted the ball back it started in the first half it carried over into the second half Nashville opened the door for inner Miami but for the first time with Lionel Messi they just couldn't walk through it they couldn't walk through it and a lot of that has to do with tired legs listen Messi's 36 years old Busquets in his 30s as well Jordi Alba mm-hmm. as well 
They're playing every three days. It's going to be a lot. You realize that Messi could be a footballing god, but he shows signs of being human at this age. And it's a lot to ask for the Messi magic to be constantly on. His teammates have to help. You see the frustration seeping in. That's going to be a worry going forward of mine is Messi's going to realize he needs more help at his disposal. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm talking about of how good somebody can be standing next to Messi. Messi will make a tree stump look good. Give me the ball back. That's all I need. Give me the ball back. Well, when the ball doesn't come back, you're going to get an angry Messi. What's the how here, Herc, on how Nashville did this? How much credit do they get? How much credit or blame do we put on the pieces around Messi with Inner Miami? And then how much do we just have to acknowledge, to your point, is fatigue. I think this is 10 games as I've got it in 41 days. That's for a guy who was straight off a vacation, straight off a long season, straight off of a long World Cup, right? And on top of that, he's in his mid-30s. So clearly there's some fatigue involved, but, but how did Nashville limit Messi as best as best as anyone we've seen so far in MLS? I, I'm glad you brought up Nashville. I didn't want to go this segment without just talking about Nashville and how gutsy of a performance that was. Nashville goes into this game, okay, with no Hani Mukhtar to start the game, no Sam Surge, their new DP, available okay he's got a knee issue not available and the two-time defender of the year walker zimmerman also is not playing dax mccarty and nashville sc concede possession they give messi and friends the ball it was 70 percent possession for messi 70 percent possession for inter miami and this team nashville in a defensive block making sure there's nothing in behind the spaces that Messi wants to operate. And who's in charge of that? Dax McCarty. You had a 35-year-old against a 36-year-old chasing him around, making sure those pockets where Messi likes to operate and pick that ball up were non-existent. Those lanes where you could pass to him were non-existent. Listen, Messi gets the ball, pray. There's only so much you can do. He shows it in the highlights. He's going to find passes. He's going to see lanes that nobody else can and nobody else does. That's just what you get with Messi. But if you can make the rest of the team to try to beat you, that's the key. That's what you do. Jordi Alba, perfect ball from Lionel Messi. What's he do? Doesn't finish. Messi to Robert Taylor. What's Robert Taylor doing one of those? Doesn't give it back. Messi to Robert Taylor and another one where Robert Taylor takes a bad touch and he has to go inside and the ball gets deflected. You make other players beat you because if you make Betsy, excuse me, if you make Messi beat you, that's what he'll do. He'll beat you to death. Nashville, gutsy performance by Gary Smith. They just did what Nashville always does. They make it very, very difficult for you Mm -hmm. to operate, no spaces, and they'll just go transition game on you. The first half was ugly. I mean, we can say that, right? The first half was very ugly. That was, I think, the point by Nashville. When we first started watching Messi and this this inner Miami team ping it around, Herc, I said... The, the best defense here, and some teams are going to have to sacrifice their ego, is going gonna, is gonna to be to do what teams did against Barcelona back in the day, and that's put eight, nine, ten guys behind the ball. Especially in that first half, there were moments when the Nashville 11 was within 35, 40 yards of their goal. Now, what was a surprise was that they totally changed it in the second half, and it was, I, I, I might argue, even more effective because it allowed them to be dangerous and, and threaten into Miami. But I think Nashville has laid... A pretty good blueprint here, right, for everybody else. Do you think this is something that other teams can replicate like Nashville did? Well, you better have some horses. You better have a Schaffelberg. You better have a Fafa Pico. You better have a Hani Mukhtar. Uh, those type of players that went. But those got two of those three weren't on the field in the first you still half. Had, huh? It doesn't matter. You kept it what you needed to do. You said they looked better in the second half, right? So you either need a weather storm or you come back with something of your own. That something of your own is that transition game. Because Inter-Miami FC, like you said, Barcelona, well, we'll sit eight or nine guys around that block of eight or nine guys that will just possess the ball. What happens when they're possessing the ball? Who are the players who are left 1v1? The center backs. That's why Kamal Miller had himself a game because he had a lot of work to do. You mentioned Kamal Miller. Somebody's been looking ahead in the rundown because you also mentioned that Lionel Messi was frustrated. Apparently, Messi not the only player for Inter-Miami feeling the frustration after the scoreless draw at home against Nashville. Here's what Miller had to say. In the end, I just think it comes down to the little things like maybe someone could have stepped up and had an individual moment of brilliance to break the score. It felt like that's what the game needed. Um, Credit to Nashville. They executed their game plan pretty well. Uh, Now it's on us just to get back to the drawing board and figure out how to break down these teams because probably that's what everyone's going to do just now. 
All right, Kamal Miller with what felt like shots fired. Was, was he talking to Messi there? Maybe someone could have stepped up? Uh, I'm, sure Kamal, I'm sure Kamal Miller didn't mean it that way, but if I'm playing with Kobe Bryant and I say that in a postgame, like, man, if there was somebody to do something special to open this game up, <laughs> like maybe they could have stepped up. What do you think Kobe Bryant's going to – what? Mm-hmm. Seriously, what do you think Messi's going to say? Like, what? Because if anybody's going to come up and step up with an individual moment of brilliance, who do you think would be mm-hmm. for Inter-Miami? It would be Messi. So I could see why that may look like shots fired. Help Messi. Help Messi. Like, what's he need to do? What else does he need to do? 11 goals, 3 assists in 10 games. He's been at the foot. I would have said hand. But he's at the foot of everything good for Inter-Miami. Can somebody else step up? Where's the Robert Taylor that we saw in the opening games? Where's the Joseph Martinez that we saw in the opening games? Where are these players? Facundo Farias who came off. Huh? Where is he? What about Diego Gomez? What about those players? Is he just going to get yelled at by Messi? What are they going to step up? You need to constantly step up. Messi draws the attention. Help him. Mm. What's interesting is that statistics say he played about as good a game as he has in Major League Soccer, right? He was the most dangerous, had the most completed passes. Like, every statistic was most since he joined the team. But the eyeball test would tell me, Herc, it was his worst performance. Would you agree? He was missing passes that Lionel Messi just doesn't miss. And that's why, again, I keep going back to this guy's just running out of gas. He could be running out of gas, Seb, but I go back to the frustration. Listen, you saw it in the plays. They didn't give him the ball back. It's, it's, like, it's not like he's mother effing the player next to him or he's going up <laughs> in his face. He's literally just one of these like, ah, oh, he didn't see it. Ah, oh, right. you missed it. Ah, oh, come on. One of those. And then after the game, Hani Mukhtar goes and asks him for his jersey. And I don't know if you caught it. Right yes. after the game, Messi kind of brushes him off and tells him like in the tunnel. Like he's getting fed up with the MLS fanboys as well. He's right now frustrated. A lot of it has to do with the gas. Like the gas tank is is coming on me. But it's, I mean, it's understandable. The man is not a machine. Like I am here in awe of what he's done in these 10 games, but to continue to ask him to perform at this level is just insane. And and people ask, how engaged would he be? How much would he care? I, I think you're seeing it. You're seeing just how much he cares in the frustration there with some of his teammates as Inter-Miami drops two very valuable points in the playoff chase at home against Nashville. Let's turn our attention to the Champions League draw herc, which went down this morning. Now, A lot of interesting storylines, kind of big picture. Uh, But we're focused on our CONCACAF guys here. And our CONCACAF guys are going to be pretty busy, right? By the way, 10 U.S. men's national team players in the group stages. That's a pretty good haul for the Americans. I think everybody focused primarily, Herc, in terms of group of death talk on Group F, where we find PSG, Newcastle, (coughs) and then a couple of teams that do feature Americans. Of course, Borussia Dortmund with Gio Reyna and AC Milan with Christian Pulisic and Eunice Musa. Let's start talking Group F. Who do you think has a better shot at advancing to the knockout stages? Is it Gio Reyna and Dortmund or Pulisic, Musa and Milan? Oh, no, I'm going with the European powers. That's uh, AC Milan. Listen, they were in the semifinals uh, last Champions League edition, so that leg up already, right? Uh, I don't know what to expect of Borussia Dortmund or Giovanni Reina for that matter. Uh, sort of enigma in this competition and usually falter somewhere along the lines. I'll, I'll take Milan. I like what I've seen of them thus far. For my money, they still need a ball winning six. But this is a scary team in transition, and transition teams are very good in tournament settings, conducive for a tournament setting. Listen, you've got speed on both wings, whether it's Christian Pulisic or Rafa Leao. You've got a Chukweze who's chomping at the bit to come onto the field, who produces even more speed and more predictability up top. You've got a, a Giroud who understands how they play, a Loftus-Cheek in the midfield, a Eunice Musa that may not be an out-and-out starter for Milan, but if he gets in and you got all those horses around you, this team's going to be scary in transition. Theo, Theo Hernandez on one side like they are scary and continue to be scary in this competition and I've mentioned the experience they're in the semifinals last season I think they'll compete again this season yeah made the semifinals and if not for Rafael Leao being out yeah uh, may have indeed made the final and I think you're seeing how much Rafael Leao appreciates the Chukweze's, the Polisics of the world, right? He's like, hey, I, I got help now. So uh, I'm with you. I think AC Milan has a good shot here. I'll go with Dortmund, though. I think when I think about Borussia Dortmund, I say, look, this is not a team 
that I could ever have any faith in when it comes to the Bundesliga, right? If they're chasing Bayern Munich, if they're holding off Bayern Munich, I got no faith in Dortmund. But when it comes to the Champions League, and specifically the group stages of the Champions League, I got some faith in Borussia Dortmund. And actually, probably through the round of 16 in the Champions League, I got faith in Dortmund. The other reason that I'm, I'm fascinated by Dortmund being in this group is the opportunity that it is for Gio Reyna. The talk about Gio Reyna for the last nine months outside of one window in the summer when he played exceptionally well in the Nations League has been about what's happened off the field with good performances, Herc, against a Milan, against a PSG, against a Newcastle. Not only will that change the narrative, but I think it'll open up some opportunities because the other reality for Gio Reyna is this at Dortmund, playing time is not guaranteed. Even last year when he scored goals, when he was productive when he came in off the bench, he still couldn't guarantee himself starting minutes. He's got to get that going. He's got to get those minutes locked in. And I think the Champions League and this group specifically, perfect opportunity for Gio Reyna. It's got, it has to be. Listen, Giovanna has got a, a lot to prove. I'll go one step further and, and say that Christian Pulisic just has as much to prove in the champ. He's got to prove, and, and not to us, but maybe to himself, to himself excuse me, that that one championship run with Chelsea uh, wasn't just a fluke, wasn't just a, a shot in the pan. I think he's got something to prove, like he's been proven in Serie A, and I think he can do it. He's got the legs. He's got the confidence now. You can see that he's happy. He's already outproduced what he did with Chelsea last season. I really think this team can be a very fun team to watch, and Christian Pulisic pulling the strings. Uh, at that, if you will. PSG, Dortmund, AC Milan, Newcastle in Group F. Of course, uh, we're big fans of the Dutch League here on ESPN+. Plus. Not just because we can watch all the games, but because the teams are stacked with players from this region. All right, so we got PSV with the trio of Americans as well as Chucky Lozano about to join. They're in Group B with Sevilla, Arsenal, and Lance. And then we got uh, Feyenoord, of course, home to Santiago Jimenez. Uh, they're in Group E with Atletico Madrid, Lazio, and Celtic. All right, Herc, between these two, who do you think has a better shot to advance? I will take PSV, Team CONCACAF, if you will. Listen, Lons doesn't give me any type of confidence. Uh, their leading goal scorer this year is a left back. They're winless so far in league play. They sold a bunch of their star players from last year. Uh, Sevilla are the perennial Europa League. They're not the perennial Champions League com you know, competitors. And I say that with all due respect. They're doing a financial crisis right now. Monchi, their sporting director, just left. Uh, I think it'll get ugly for them right now. That's why Tecatillo Corona is on his way out from Sevilla. They need the money, so things will get ugly there. And you're not touching Arsenal's Arteta. You're not touching um, what, what, what they got going on there. So it's who's coming in second place. And I firmly believe that's PSV. I like the way this team is constructed, the way that it's built. I enjoy watching a happy Serginho Dest on the outside. I can see a Malik Tillman biding his time until he gets a chance in that midfield. I can see Chucky Lozano regaining that form that saw him go back-to-back -back seasons, mm. <clears throat> 17 goals, 11 assists at PSV. I can see Ricardo Pepe waiting for Luke De Jong, the team captain, their number nine at 33 years old, to falter and get his opportunity and take it. I can see Ernie Stewart's team. Yes, Ernie Stewart, ex-US uh, soccer's president, building something nicely with this PSV team. I can see them sneaking into that next round. I'm going with the champions, Los Campeones. Fine, or it has to be, has to be, has to be Santiago Jimenez. But nobody in this group really, truly scares me. All those if fans I'm being scare honest. me. I'm gonna be honest. Those, if I'm being honest. Those ultras scare me. Look at that. So group. what's interesting is, is Feyenoord actually you wouldn't think of it, but they were a pot one team, right, in the in the Champions League draw. So so they actually have quite a favorable group in that regard. Atletico Madrid surely needs to be respected. Lazio a team I think they can best. Celtic a team I think they can surely best. Uh, I could easily see them finishing second in this group. The big question is, will Santiago Jimenez be there? Because we still, as of this show, have time left in the transfer window. Uh, and you never know where he might end up. Speaking of late moves, Herc, and number nines making late moves. Did you hear about Jordan Pifak? Apparently on his way out of Union Berlin. Going to be joining Borussia Mönchengladbach. How about this? Listen, it's a good move for him because he needs playing time. Excuse me. Uh, he needs to play. He needs to get confidence back. He found it at Union Berlin the first couple weeks. He was goal scorer. He was hot. He needs to regain that form like he had at Young Boys. The 27-year-old making the move in the Bundesliga. 
Looked like he uh, was going to be playing Champions League ball with Brendan Aronson uh, instead. Headed to Gladbach to team up with Jolton Joe Scally. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Julie Ertz, U.S. Women's National Team legend, has announced her retirement from professional soccer. Won the World Cup in 2015, won it again in 2019, part of the Team that won bronze at the Olympics in Tokyo and took some time away from the team, had a child, still managed to return in time to make the roster for the 2023 World Cup. She's a player who was, Herc, at the end of the day, impossible to replace for Vladko Anonofsky. Why do you think she was so hard to replace? Well, her versatility, her leadership, could play as a defensive midfielder, could play as a center back, her ball-willing ability, the ability to circulate uh, plays, et cetera, et cetera. I also think a lot of this falls on Vlatko. I think he tried to replace her. If you go back to the, you know, the, the Tokyo Olympics, the opening game against Sweden, she wasn't on the field, Seb. They go on to lose that game 3-0. She didn't start the game, go on to lose 3-0, but she started every single game after that, including uh, the bronze medal game that they won. So it was always by committee that Vlaco tried to, in some shape or form, fill that void. Lindsey Horan, Sam Coffey, Andy Sullivan, uh, Emily Sane. You know, it, it didn't matter who, it was always by committee. But it wasn't like she was missed, and I will say in that position as a defensive midfielder in the World Cup, because Naomi Germa, excuse me, and and uh, and uh, Julie Ertz, they were the best center back duo in the World Cup. They were very good defensively. Mm. But in removing Julie Ertz, you asked two players to do what she used to do by herself, and it was two players: one to try to win uh, the ball, the other to try to circulate the ball, and it was at the expense of a creative player. Vlaco just could never introduce these players and give them a consistent run of minutes to have them feel comfortable in their own skin. Doing so much as taking players who had never been in major tournaments or major games to the World Cup. And that's why you saw that massive void at the World Cup. Yeah. I think there's something to be said, too, on a macro level. Kind of the game changed, right? As, as, we've, saw, as we've seen in the last World Cup, the technical teams are coming to the fore. Spain won the last World Cup. And in 2015 and 2019... The women's game was still dominated by physicality, and Julie Ertz was dominant in those times. As the game changed, you couldn't just leave one person in that sixth spot, Herc, and hope that they would, against teams like Netherlands, against teams like Spain, against teams like Japan, can ping it around, that they would be able to do that job. So even Julie Ertz in her prime, I don't know if would have been as effective in, in a World Cup like this one as she was in 2015 and 2019. What I think is kind of sad is we see her at the end playing center back, a position she hadn't played in four years with the national team, and that's kind of the last image. It is worth remembering her in 2015 and 2019 where she was the best in the world and dominant both at center back and in defensive center midfield. There are very few players who can dominate international soccer in two positions. That is Julie Ertz's legacy. Maybe at the end it didn't look like it did at the beginning, but my, 2015 through 2019, you would be hard-pressed to find a player that was more important to the two-time World Cup champions than Julie Ertz. Another player that was very important, Herc, Megan Rapino. She has announced when her last game will be. Of course, uh, coming up on September 24th at Chicago's Soldier Field. Get your tickets now. I'm sure they will sell out quickly. The U.S. will be playing South Africa. That's going to be Megan Rapinoe's farewell match, Herc. 
Yeah, Megan Rapinoe is a, a massive star. She transcends the game, but I feel kind of sad that she's going to go down the same way that Michael Bradley went down with fans and not the most positive of lights because she was an absolute game changer. Big Brady. news out of USL. Corede Osundina is going to be moving from Orange County to Feyenoord. Another one, Herc. Yeah, $215,000 transfer could go up to $1 million in incentives. Uh, this is a good one right here. Don't forget, back in February, Orange County SC and Feyenoord struck up a partnership. That's one of five players that this team, Orange County, has sent to Europe since their inception. All right. Now, he's going to be loaned back to Orange County, as we understand, right, for years. So no chance at uh, Champions League football yet, but uh, maybe down the road for young Osundina there. Congratulations to him on the move. All right, Herc, I believe that'll do it for this edition of Football America. Show us your, ooh, your Hummel gear. I forgot, yeah. Sacramento Republic has the Hummel gear. Hummel, what a, Hummel's nice. What I'll, I'll beautiful take some I always kit. take the gear, my people. You know where to you find do. me. You, you know do. Where he to find definitely me. Uh, loves, loves the gear. Large, Send him a large. Small. Small. Schmedium, man. I haven't gone to the gym in a while. We might, might be getting wider. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not pretty <laughs> over here. We will be back on Monday for what will be a very pretty show as we uh, recap Lionel Messi's trip to Hollywood. That's right, Inter-Miami taking on LAFC. Transfer, Seb. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday.